like that. You want Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to this, this Monday edition match. of the Logan Byman Show. Man, it's been a long time since we have recorded a show. Unintentional, completely unintentional break here from yours truly, and I do very much apologize the apologize for that. But before we get into what we're going to talk about today, let's go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow Logan Blyman Show on every single form of social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find the Twitter account at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan, with the show's Instagram account being the Logan Blackman Show One. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Subscribe and like on both. And of course, once again, you're listening to it right now. Just make sure you are following and or subscribed to the Apple Podcast and or Spotify accounts. If you're listening to the show right now, just make sure you double check. Just double check. And if you're already subscribed, make sure you've left a rating out of five stars. It could be a one-star rating. It could be a five-star rating. I really don't care. Just as long as your opinion is noted and I, you give me some constructive criticism or give me some great feedback on how the show, how great the show is or how terrible the show is or how much you hate the host, how much the host needs replaced and stuff like that. How the host isn't consistent enough anymore. I'm sorry. Okay. Completely, completely didn't mean to not record a single show last week. So what happened was Sunday when we record the shows, because again, once again, we record the shows on Sundays, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Okay. Okay. You got that? You got that? You got that? You got that good? Okay. You got that. So I was sitting there on Sunday. We had the Bills Browns game from Detroit take place first because obviously there were 77 inches of snow in Buffalo. So we couldn't end up going to the Bills Browns game. So we were watching football all day. But then the Vikings and Cowboys game was right after that. So we were down watching the Cowboys Vikings game. And then Sunday night football was on. We're like, well, we got to watch Sunday night football. It's a complete mess. Completely, complete and utter mess. Laziness from my part, I guess you could say. We had Bredo Pizza, which is fantastic. If you want to sponsor the show, that'd be perfect. And then Tuesday, what were we doing Tuesday? I don't even remember what was going on on Tuesday. I think I went out to eat. What, what did I do on Tuesday? Did I go over to my parents' house Tuesday? What was Tuesday? Do I not have... Oh, no, no, no. I remember. I remember. I remember what was going to happen Tuesday. So I was sitting there in my apartment. As, you know, one does. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, I gotta record a show today. And then I went back. I I don't remember what else I was doing. I had to be doing something else. I had to be doing something else along on Tuesday. Oh, I helped my friend Tom get a table from Redikers up in Boone. So we got a table. We brought it back to his dad's place. We hung out that night. So it was that's what I was doing. That's what I was doing. So that's why we didn't have a show Tuesday. And then I was also like, okay, Thursday's Thanksgiving. We're not going to record a show Thursday. So we don't have anything for Friday. So it's like, okay, let's just take the L for this week and then come back next weekend bigger, better, stronger than ever before. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the case. We're only three minutes in. So I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not. But I am excited because there's a lot that happened in the sports world that we did not have a chance to cover all week last week. And hopefully this week, knock on wood, of course, we go through a full week of Logan Blackman Show content. Okay, wouldn't that be just fantastic? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Now, we did post a blog post on Friday, so make sure you go to loganblackmanshow.com, go into the blog section or scroll down to the main page and click the link provided there so you can go and read our latest blog post of the Week 12 Quarterback Prospect Rankings for the 2023 NFL Draft. I do hope you love, appreciate, read through everything on there, and henceforth. So we'll get to some quarterback talk here in a little bit once we get close to college football time. But uh, And we got some big Heisman stuff. There's a possible seismic shift in the Heisman Trophy race that we'll get to a little bit later in the show. But I think the most important thing we have to talk about here first is the 2022 
FIFA World Cup in Qatar has been underway. We did our preview a couple Fridays ago. We went through our predictions, and so far the predictions are looking or about aging about as well as just milk. Like, they are god-awful predictions so far. And I'm not really surprised. I'm not too surprised they're bad because this World Cup was going to be one of the most unpredictable World Cups of all time. It was going to be crazy. No one could tell anything that was going to happen in this World Cup. Oh, the hosts are bribing Ecuador to lose one nothing in their first game of the tournament. Oh, no, this is all just going to delve into chaos. It's going to be miserable. Nothing's going to go right. It's just going to be terrible. Now, obviously, we have stated our opinions about the World Cup in the past. But in regards to what's going on on the field, it's been a very enjoyable World Cup. On the field, the product has been very, very good. Unless you're a fan of CONCACAF, then it's been kind of frustrating because CONCACAF has scored a whopping, what, two goals from open play this tournament? Or three? How many goals? Three goals this tournament so far? Costa Rica scoring one. Canada scoring one today. The United States scoring one against uh, Wales in the first game, which we'll get to that game in a little bit. At least I, that's how I'm remembering it. I'm remembering that's how that the, the tweet I saw worded it. Now... Let's start off, we started off talking about Ecuador versus Qatar. Ecuador notably has one of the youngest squads in this tournament. Very young squad, they're a very tight-knit squad though, but Qatar, and we watched them in the 2021 Gold Cup, so we've seen Qatar play, and the United States had some problems with Qatar. Qatar was very competitive throughout the entire tournament. And this game against Ecuador, a young Ecuadorian team, I thought the host nation would be able to come through and get a dub in this game. It turns out Qatar shat themselves on the way to the stadium because they did not look ready to play at all in that game. Like, just from the start of the game, you can go like, oh, God. Oh, that was really stupid for me to predict that they'd win it. It's come third in this group, wasn't it? Oh, it was very stupid for me to predict that, wasn't it? Because they looked so bad. Like, they, they hoofed the ball down the field to start the game. They looked... Out of sorts the entire time they were kicking the ball around. And then their goalie, El Sheeb, Saad El Sheeb, comes out to punch a ball that he's not anywhere close to getting, and Ecuador scores. Thankfully for Qatar, it was ruled offsides. I don't know what they were looking at to make it offsides, but it doesn't matter because it was just a freaking mess the entire game. The game ended up 2 nothing. under Valencia, scored two goals. The captain of the Ecuadorian national team, very good player, played for West Ham for a little bit. I don't know where he's at right now, probably Besiktas. Fenerbahce, Fenerbahce. But it was just complete and utter mess. Complete and utter mess that first game. So that changed my entire opinion about how Qatar was going to do in this World Cup. I was like, ah, oh, damn. Ah, oh, damn. Watch that game. You're like, man, that's the team I predicted to finish last and second to last. But the team that I predicted to finish last is cooking the team that I predicted to finish above them in the group. They just look completely out of sorts. And there's usually that, like, national pride that comes through. When you're hosting a World Cup. Like, obviously, apart from Brazil in 2014, because that's Brazil. You're expecting Brazil to be re do really well in the World Cup. They ended up going to the World Cup semifinals. Obviously losing to uh, Germany 7-1. And then obviously losing to the Netherlands, I think, 4-0 in, in the third place game. But like, you look back to 2018, you look back to tw 2010, just to top of my head. Or not off the top of my head, but the two teams that, you know, realistically, you look at Russia, you look at South Africa... You don't really see a lot of expectations growing for these group for these two teams. And then Russia, I think, won their group, or at least finished high in their group and played really well. They knocked out Spain in the knockout stage on penalties. And then you look at South Africa, they tied Mexico in the first game. Like their group in 2010 for South Africa was Uruguay, Mexico, and France. 
Uruguay, Mexico, and France. France was just in the World Cup final against Italy in 2006. So this group's not really looking that well for South Africa. And yes, they lose to Uruguay 3-0 in the second game of the tournament. But they tied their first game 1-1 with Mexico, leading the game early on, and then they beat France 2-1, leading the game 2-0 until Maluda scored in the 70th minute. Like, that national pride, that like hosting a tournament in South Africa, to my memory, this Qatar team is better than that South African team. Like, the Qatari players are basically just Qatari national players. Like, they don't play club level. They've been out of their clubs for months. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But it sure didn't help them at all when they played <laughs> played their first game of the tournament against Ecuador. Like you, you feel like you'd have that national pride or something like that, but they just looked lost. They looked bad. They looked really bad, and that changed my entire opinion about it. I, it was really no, like no hatred towards Ecuador. No, 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 no. I just really liked Senegal. I know we talked about Senegal a little bit, and I thought Qatar with the national pride thing and playing well in the Gold Cup would propel them to having a somewhat, not getting out of the group, but having a somewhat decent enough tournament to where you go, okay, they played well. Even though they everybody wrote them off, they played well. They, they didn't play well. They didn't play well. And then Senegal and Netherlands, they played in the second game of this group, the first round of this, this group, and the Netherlands won 2-0. Cody Gakpo played really, really well. He's played awesome this tournament so far. I think he has two goals and an assist to his name so far this tournament. Playing great. Linked with Manchester United for a while. Apparently he's going to make the move to Manchester United in January. Cross our fingers about that. But Netherlands, we kind of talked about them leaving Jasper Sillison out of the squad, and they brought Andres Newport, six foot eight. Apparently, this dude was thinking about retiring from football like two years ago. And then he had never received a single cap at international level until the 2022 FIFA World Cup. That's awesome. That is really cool. And I don't know if he's going to be making a move to a bigger club. He plays for Heronveen right now over in the Netherlands. I don't know if he's going to be making a big move anywhere because he is what twenty eight years old, but he is six foot eight. He is six foot eight, so I don't know. Maybe he could make somewhat of a decent move. Like you look at Robin Olsen, when the Swedish the Swedish national team goalkeeper from twenty eighteen, and he's still the national team goalkeeper now. He made a big money move to Roma. Now that move didn't ultimately end up working out. I think he's the backup on uh, crap. Where was he? Aston Villa. See, on Aston Villa still, he got loaned out a few times at Roma. I think he might have finally gotten sold to Aston Villa to be the backup to Emmy Martinez, who had a really bad game the first one against Saudi Arabia, or didn't have a great game against Saudi Arabia. Didn't really need to do a whole lot against Mexico, but again, we'll get to that in a little bit. But the Netherlands are an interesting team. I love watching the Netherlands play. They're the one of the teams, like very few teams, if you know me, you know I don't like orange uniforms or yellow uniforms or things like that. The Netherlands are really the only team that can pull off orange uniforms. Out of all the teams that have ever existed in the world of sports, the Netherlands are the only team that can actually pull it off. And that might get me some hatred. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with receiving hate for that, but I really like the Netherlands uniforms. Now, for Senegal, losing 2 nothing. yeah, Edouard Mendy should have had, I think it was Gakpo's goal. I think he should have had that one, if I remember right. But remember, we're going back a week. Like I've, I haven't sat down and watched the World Cup back. I just watched the games, and then that was it. I'm pretty confident Edward Mendy should have punched the ball out of the air when Gakpo scored his first goal, but I don't really remember. But not having Sadio Mane is big. But Senegal is still a very solid team. They're a very solid team. Like, you look at Edward Mendy's a solid option in net. Khalidou Koulibaly. You got Abdul Diallo. You got Czech Kyote, who's been playing for this national team forever. Idrissa Gay. Ismail Asar. Like, you've got a lot of quality in this team, but it just wasn't enough for the Netherlands. 
And I like that Senegal got the Netherlands out of the way. I know they drew against Ecuador in their next game. Or no, 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 no. Ecuador drew against Netherlands in the next game. Senegal came in and beat Qatar 3-1. Which, hey, Qatar, first goal in World Cup history. That's cool. That's very cool. But, yeah, Senegal came out 1-3-1. Which was kind of expected in that game. After watching Qatar in the first game, Senegal, to me, is better than Ecuador. And they're now that will be proven right or wrong in the coming days. They're play, They're playing on the 29th. So we'll see them again on Tuesday. But, uh, yeah, uh, Senegal looks better than Ecuador. Getting the Netherlands out of the way was big. I know Ecuador drew with the Netherlands 1-1. Senegal obviously lost 3-1 to or 2-1, 2-0 to the Netherlands. But, I don't know, it, it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a fun game. And whoever wins that game will get out of the group. Or draw. I don't know what the standings really are right now for that group. Okay, so if, if Sen- Senegal will have to win. Senegal will have to win. They can't lose or draw in this game. Netherlands, I don't think, will have a lot of problems with Qatar. Qatar, I don't think they will. They shouldn't. But whoever, who knows? Who knows? Maybe Qatar wakes up for the last game randomly and decides to knock, <laughs> just switch the entire group on its head. Fought the entire group on its head. Maybe that's what happens with Qatar winning this game. I don't know. But that's what Group A is looking at. Group B is the United States, England, Iran, and Wales group. We'll start with England and Iran first. Uh, England just wiped the floor with Iran. They had 20... Four minutes, I believe, of added time in this game. They had 14 minutes of added time at halftime, and they had 10 minutes of added time at the end of that the end of the game. And this helped out in goal difference. Obviously, you had Iran scoring a penalty with 19 with 103 minutes on the clock. 103. Now that might not seem like a lot. Like I was sitting there, like, man, why are we have to sit through this? Why is it at 6-1 are we being forced to sit through 10 minutes of added time? And then when you think about goal difference. It's big. Like, that penalty was really big for Iran, and they could realistically qualify. We'll talk about why in a little bit. But England looked good. England looked pretty good in that game. They looked just in sync. They looked really solid in that game. Iran looked lost. Now, the United States and Wales, and I'm going to be trying and careful how I say this. Hold on. Uh, The United States killed Wales. They killed Wales. At least in the first half. At least in the first half. And this game was just insanely frustrating because they looked so good. In the first half. And Wales, good lord, you wouldn't think for a mammal that big would be able to flop around as much as they did. Like, it was absolutely ridiculous. You'd think they got shot every single time a United States player laid a finger on them. Like, Sergio Dest and Weston McKinney got yellow cards within two minutes of each other. In the 10th and 12th minute of the game. Like, what the, what the, and they were weak. Weak challenges. Pulisic was fouled, I think, 11 times in the game. Like, it was absolutely ridiculous. No calls for... Really no calls for, for Wales the entire game. No real calls. Wales had two yellow cards in that game. The United States had four. It was bullshit. <laughs> now, Weston McKinney's one was warranted. But that's also because Matt Turner sprinted out of his box to head away the ball and Gareth Bale had a clear shot at goal from about the halfway line. Weston McKinney just, or uh, Kellen Acosta just took him down. Very smart tactical foul from Kellen Acosta in that game. But th- that game was frustrating because the United States should have won. They should have won. The penalty they gave up was bad. Walker's amendment just went right through the back of Gareth Bale. Just insanely frustrating stuff. Like, you you destroy them in the first half, and then the United States just sits on the back foot the entire second half. You're like, why? Wales did not play good in this game. The United States killed them. And then they come out, and they, these substitutions were just odd. Like, Jordan Moore is coming on. I get it in theory, because we said this is what he was going to do, bringing Jordan Morris into the squad. We went over the United States World Cup squad. We recapped it. What did we say about Jordan Morris going in over Paul Areola? We said that he brought Jordan Morris because his size, his speed, 
And he's a natural goal scorer, a natural-ish goal scorer for Seattle. Like, he's going to bring him on late in games for goal scoring purposes, and that's exactly what he did. He brought it on in what, the 88th minute of the game? Yeah, 88th minute of the game. Like, I understand it to a certain extent. Do I want it to happen? No, I was kind of sitting here hoping that Jordan Morris wouldn't really play in the tournament. And what also made people really upset in this game was West McKinney was clearly hurt. West McKinney was hurt in the entire game. He got subbed off a lot later than what he probably should have. He had a quad injury. He's slowly getting back into fitness. We'll talk about what he did in the England game here in a little bit. But he probably should have come off at halftime for Brendan Aronson. Aronson came on for McKinney, did his thing. Didn't do anything like amazing, amazing, but you know what you can do in that amount of time given. But then Dest obviously battling some injuries as well, so he brought on DeAndre Yedlin, which is another thing a lot of people are really upset about this because Yedlin is fine enough, I guess, but a lot of people want to bring Joe Scaly on. And what we talk about with Joe Scaly coming into the squad for the United States in this World Cup, Joe Scaly. All things considered, at least how I'm understanding it, Joe Scaly was brought on to be a backup left back. He's not going to be playing right back, as that's what it seems like. And we'll talk about what happened in the England game again, because that game was very important for the United States. And we'll talk about why here in about a minute. But Joe Scaly, people are wanting to see Joe Scaly on. So you're bringing on these MLS players. Like, out of all the players, you brought on three MLS players. You brought DeAndre Yedlin, Kellen Acosta, Jordan Morris. Kellen Acosta, no one really should have had a problem with because Kellen Acosta is very good. Yedlin's a solid backup option. And then Morris, no one wanted to see bring on because no one really wanted to see Jordan Morris in the World Cup squad, which is somewhat of an issue. But they did. Came on for Tim Weah in the 88th minute, who scored a really, really nice goal. Really, really nice goal. The two players that have scored against <laughs> the first, the last two players when Tim Weah scored this goal, score a World Cup goal against Wales, were Pele and Tim Weah. Very good company, especially when his dad's George Weah, the greatest African football player of all time. So, it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny, but Matt Turner played well, apart from scaring the hell out of me. He should have saved the penalty. He got a hand, he got a hand of the penalty that Gareth Bale took. But he scared me when he tried to come out of the box and pull Emmanuel Neuer stuff. And it almost failed. Thankful, again, thankful for Kellen Acosta being self-aware and just taking him down. Next game, we had Wales versus Iran. Wales coming off a 1-1 draw against the United States, a game they were outplayed. And Iran coming off a 6-2 drubbing to England in a game where they scored their second goal in the 103rd, the 103rd minute of the game. And Iran came out 2 nothing winners. And not only that did they come out 2 nothing winners. They came out 2 nothing winners in the 98th and the 101st minute of the game. What a freaking way to go down 2 nothing! Wayne Hennessy, <laughs> red card. Funny red card. Silly red card. But, man, go down 2 nothing. 98th, 101st. Talk about freaking heartbreaking stuff there. I don't want to talk about that game too much. Because the real game was United States-England. Black Friday, 1 o'clock. Fox, oh, I was ready. Oh, everything was ready for this game. And I went into this game after watching what the United States did to Wales until the second half before they completely shut off the gas, took their foot off the gas, did everything wrong in the second half. And I was with my friend Brady watching this game. And I sat there, I was like, I don't think they'll lose. I don't think they'll lose. I don't think the United States will lose. I think they can come away with a draw in this game. Because I'm, you obviously want to be confident for your national team going into the World Cup. But you want to have realistic expectations. I was not going in saying the United States was going to batter England 3-0 or something like that. No, no, no. I thought they could come away with a draw. Like a 1-1 draw. And if England did win, it was going to be something late. 
like I did not think England would blow the United States out of the water because I know the United States could be physical with them, which is something they haven't really reacted too well, as we saw against Wales. Same general area, <laughs> same island and everything. And the United States came into this game. There were some early chances for England. Made it a little scary. Made you sit on your seat a little, edge of your seat a little bit. But at the end of the game, especially at the end of the first half, I'm upset once again that the United States lost this game. Or didn't, but feels like a loss. End up drawing this game. This was a game that the United States should have won. Realistically, this is a game the United States should have won. Like, they dominated this game. And you got players that are at part English, like Anthony Robinson, Yunus Musa, or players that play in England, like Christian Pulisic, or Tyler Adams, or Brennan Aronson, or Matt Turner, that Tim Ream, like, this game means everything to them. Wales has, or, jeez, England has never beaten the United States at a World Cup. England has rarely beaten the United States at freaking anything, including wars, including other sports. They rarely beat us. Like, they make fun of the United States with all these, like, invent a sport, win it, you're world champs. Win it, invent a sport, no one else plays at world champs. And then England invents a sport, everybody plays it, you stink at it. Like, imagine England, your number one sport is soccer or football, whatever. And the United States comes in as soccer or football being their fifth favorite sport and come in and play you off the pitch. I don't care how diehard of an England fan you are, how diehard English nationalist you are, you cannot sit there and tell me England played better than the United States or England deserved a win. England did not play anywhere near close to the United States in this game, and they were feeling it. The Americans were feeling that game. Anthony Robinson played out of his freaking mind. Pulisic played awesome in this game. McKinney, Adams, Dest, Matt Turner played awesome in this game. I loved every second of this game, apart from the fact that it ended in a nil-nil draw. But for it being a nil-nil draw, it was exciting. It wasn't like it was a boring nil-nil draw like we saw in the, what was it? Was it Uruguay versus, oh crap, who was Uruguay's first game of the tournament? Hold on. Uruguay versus, where the hell is that game? Uruguay versus South Korea. We had no shots on target the entire game. From either team, no shot on target. It could have been like that, nil-nil draw. This game was awesome. This game was absolutely awesome. The United States lined up in a 4-4-2 formation. McKinney was out on the right, Pulisic on the left with Haji right, and Timothy way up top. And when you're playing England, it made sense to play Haji right when you got a guy like Harry Maguire in the back, very physical guy. Like, the, the United States, they outplayed England, and it was awesome to watch. Like, I saw a couple tweets. I was like, if you watched this game and you were told there were 200 million pound or $100 million, whatever, midfielders in this game, would you tell me it was Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice or Jonas Musa and Tyler Adams? Because Jonas Musa and Tyler Adams outplayed Jude Bellingham and, and Declan Rice off the park. They dominated them in the middle of the park. The only thing that scares me with the East, this United States team is the center backs. And that's not even saying, like, Walker's, apart from the penalty, Walker's and Tim Ream have been very good. Tim Ream played awesome in this game as well. They've been very solid together. Very good partnership for the United States. But that's the only real spot that kind of scares me a little bit. Like, the United States has talent all over the field. Again, like we talked about before the tournament, this is the deepest, most talented squad the United States has ever brought to a World Cup, ever. Let me reiterate that. Ever. This team is so good. We're actually having conversations about who should start in this game. But in the past, we had conversations about who would start this game, and we're, actually, we're talking about which, which one's better between trash and a toilet. Like, it wasn't anything that was actually a realistic conversation. 
it was just not good. Now we're having conversations about who should start between like Brennan. We have Brennan Aronson and Giovanni Reina on the bench. Now Giovanni Reina being on the bench, that's a whole nother topic that a lot of people in the United States camp are very upset about, and rightly so. Just the fact that he's not playing. The fact that Jordan Morris went on the field instead of Giovanni Reina, who is one of the probably top five players in the United States team. One of the? Or is that crazy? Would I say? Would you say that Giovanni Reina is a top five player in the United States men's national team? Like guaranteed ones? You got Pulisic. You got McKinney. You got Adams. And then who else would you, who would you put at four and five? That's where this is where we start getting a little techie here because obviously Way has got to say Moose has got to say Turner's got to say they got a lot of really good players now which is a great problem to have but when you're having a top arguably top five player on your roster that's not starting he should come in relatively early in the second half right instead of coming in on the 83rd minute of the game against England and then not coming on at all in the game against Wales like Giovanni Reina is a very talented player whose dad is one of the former captains of the United States men's national team, who is obviously very upset that his son is not playing, especially since he is one of the top five players on this team. Like I said before the tournament that I thought Timothy Weah should start the right wing because I think he provides a little more directness from the wing spot. Giovanni Reyna is more of a, um, a roam-free player rather than Tim Weah being a direct, natural direct winger with an eye for a goal. Giovanni Ray is really creative, and he'll be more of a free roam, but that's pool six role. So will we start them together? I don't know. Do you bring on Rain as a sub, or do you start him? So it's just a, I don't know. I think it's a good problem to have, but I do think it's ridiculous Giovanni Reyna has played a grand total of what? Just in the 90 minutes alone. I don't remember how long the United States angle game ended up going for, but Giovanni Reyna came on in the 83rd minutes. So we got at least seven minutes of action from Giovanni Reyna and 180 total minutes that the United States has played so far in just regular time. That's not including like added time at the end of halves and everything. Out of 180 at least minutes, Giovanni Reyna has played at least seven minutes. That's not great. For a top five player on your national team, that's not great. And there's been a lot of disgruntled fans around Burhalter and his loyalty towards MLS players, which I've kind of pushed back at at the past. But you can't bring on, uh, no offense to Jordan Morris, I really have no issues with Jordan Morris. But Giovanni Reyna needs to come in. And then, while we're on the top of MLS players, uh, Serginho Dest came out of the game, and Shaq Moore came in. And I believe this substitution was made with the idea that Mark, so Marcus Rashford came in, and I have an idea. I'd like to think that Shaq Moore coming on was a reaction to Marcus Rashford coming on, who they expected to play on the left wing. And Dest has obviously again been battling some injuries throughout this tournament. Before the tournament, he's been he was a question mark for the first game against Wales in general. And I think they imagined him going to the left and pushing Grealish over to the right. That didn't happen. Marcus Rashford just went straight over to the right side. So they brought on Shaq Moore, who's one of the more athletic right backs they have to come on for a potentially injured Dest, who was pissed when he came off because Shaq Moore, again, no offense to Shaq Moore, is not near Serginho Dest. He's a nice option off the bench, but I didn't think I'd see him at all this tournament. Like, out of all the players the United States has at their disposal, out of all the players the United States has, let's just look at this real quick. Who, is the, who are the players that have not played a single minute apart from the goalkeepers? So we have not seen Aaron Long. We haven't seen Cameron Carter-Vickers. We haven't seen Joe Scaly. We haven't seen Luca De La Torre. Did Christian Roldan come in the game against Wales? I believe he did. No, he didn't. We already talked about that, too. So Christian Roldan 
Jesus Ferreira hasn't played, which has been really surprising. I know a lot of fans are probably really excited about that. So there's been six players that have not played this tournament. Out of those six, I would have believed that Shaq Moore would not have played a single minute in this tournament. Because even if Joe Scaley was used as an emergency right back and a backup left back, he's better than Shaq Moore. Yedlin, whatever, whatever you think about DeAndre, Yedlin was always going to be in front of uh, Scaley in the pecking order, regardless of what you feel. But I feel like Scaley was a lot to make this tournament. Moore was more of a surprise than anything. So the fact that Moore is above Scaley just reiterates the fact that we said earlier that Scaley is the backup left back and that's it. Like, if Scaley was going to play at all this tournament, he's got to come in in these early games. And you play DeAndre Yedlin and Shaq Moore, which is really surprising. Really surprising. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. I'm sure Joe Scaley's upset about that. Now I know a lot of people were going in this tournament, and myself included, were expecting the likes of Jesus Ferreira and well, Aaron Long to start these games and have been wrong. And then we we kind of said that when the squad got announced. When you're looking at the squad, and apparently Burhalter was going between Pepe and Ferreira and Wright and Pfaff, and Sargent was the starter. That's what it sounded like. And Sargent started the first game against Wales, which wasn't really surprising. Hazi Wright starting against England was kind of surprising at first, but when we thought about it going against a physical team, it made kind of sense. Hazi Wright's a very physically imposing striker. But Jesus Ferreira not playing a single minute has been a surprise. And same with Aaron Long. I don't know if we'll see Aaron Long this tournament, if he'll play in the game against Iran, or if we'll see a similar-ish lineup to what we've been seeing, like we saw in the first, first game. I don't know. But the fact that those, like, Long and Herrera have not played. That's actually kind of surprising to me. I'm not I'm saying it's a good or bad thing. I just think that's really surprising. Scaly not playing is also kind of surprising. And Shaq Moore playing <laughs> is surprising. But in regards to this United States team in general, this is a very good team. This midfield three is the greatest midfield the United States has ever had, ever. Not even close. Not even close. Like, you cannot come up to me and say a better midfield three. Like, you look at the past two World Cups the United States have been in, just 2014 and 2010. Which, 2010... That was supposed to be a, here's the United States on the soccer international level. Here's what, here, we are here to stay, is what that tournament was. You have a really solid team, one of the best teams the United States ever produced up to that point. And their midfield partnership was Michael Bradley and Ricardo Clark, mixed in there with Marisa Du. Like, that's what we were looking at with 2014, because they played, or 2010, because they played a 4 4 2. Then you look in 2014, you had a midfield three, essentially of Beckerman, Jermaine Jones, and Michael Bradley. They played a diamond in some of those teams where you see like Zuzi or Alejandro Bedoya make appearances or you see Brad Davis make appearances. But really, it was Jermaine Jones, Kyle Beckerman, and Michael Bradley. No offense to any of those apart from Michael Bradley. This has been field craps on that. And the best part about this is Adams is 23, Moose is 19, McKinney's 24. When they host the World Cup in 2026... So, four years in the future, Adams will be 27, Musa will be 23, McKinney will be 28. That's awesome. They're not even, they're reaching their prime. Musa's not even in his prime by the time the next World Cup comes around. He's as old as Weston McKinney. <laughs> He'll be younger than Weston McKinney is at this World Cup. And he's not even entered, like, it's just really, you look at some of the best players the United States has. Let's just look at this. So Turner will be a little bit older. He's 28 now, but 32 is not an old age for the goalkeeper. So he'll be fine. Turner will be still be there probably as the number one guy unless he gets hurt. Dest will be 26. Robinson will be 29. Then you've got Cameron Carter-Bickers will be 28 if he may if he still plays. Joe Scaley will be 24 or 23. 
we already talked about Adams, Musa, and McKinney. Brendan Aarons will be 20, 26. Luca De La Torre will be 28. Even Kellen Acosta, he'll only be 31. And he'll probably make the squad because at 31, I think he'd be more in the shithouse thing than he already is. <laughs> Rain will be 24. Pulisic will be 28. Haji Wright will be 28. Weo will be 26. Sargent will be 26. And they're not even including players that haven't played this tournament. Ricardo Pepe will be 23. Like, this team has got so... Taylor Booth. He'll be 25. There's just so many good players that they have at their disposal right now that they've never had before. Look at the center back. Like, Mark McKenzie will be 27. Eric Palmer Brown will be 29. Chris Richards will be 26. Miles Robinson will be 29. Hopefully he back as the main, one of the main center backs for the United States because that's what he was before he got hurt. Like, the United States realistically have been the best, most consistent team in this group. Though they've tied both the games and they haven't scored six goals in one game like England did, England dropped off the face of the earth in the game against the United States. The United States played them off the park. The United States' first half against Wales and the entire game against England was the best teams this tournament so far for the group for Group B. I got to reiterate, Group B. I'm not saying the entire tournament because obviously Brazil and France played really well. We'll get to them in a little bit. But yeah, they, the United States played really well. And they have to beat Iran. The, 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 the ball is in their court right now. The ball is in their court. You have to beat Iran. Similar situation what happened in 2010 when Landon Donovan scored against Algeria. You have to win the game. You have to win. They scored a goal fairly early against, against Wales. Scoring in what? The 36th minute of the game. Score early and often. Don't sit back. Iran will be willing to sit back because Iran can play a really low block consistently. But man, you've got to score early. You've got to take this game. You've got to take it. Now, for Iran's sake, this will be a really cool story. The fact that you could say you came back from a 6-2 drubbing in the first game and end up qualifying in the, the going to the qualifying round. That'd be pretty cool to say. But we don't want to see that because we want to see the United States through. Now, in Group C, we had a shocker. We had Argentina lose to Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia scored some amazing goals in this game. Some amazing goals. Their two goals they scored were beautiful. Messi scored a penalty. Ending, and then when they lost, they ended a 36-game unbeaten streak. The second longest in international history. One behind Italy, who's not in this World Cup. They won the Euros in 2021, or the 2020 Euros, I guess. And now they're on the World Cup. Messi scored a penalty. Didn't matter. And then Poland-Mexico, boring, boring-ass game. Robert Lewandowski missed a penalty in the game. Nothing else really happened after that. And then the next game, next round, November 26th. We have Poland beat Saudi Arabia 2-0. Robert Lewandowski gets uh, an assist and scores his first World Cup goal. Very impressive stuff. Give give Robert Lewandowski a round of applause. Very nice, Robert. And then Argentina-Mexico. 88,000 strong in this game. LaSalle Stadium in LaSalle. (laughs) 88,000. And Lionel Messi scores a beautiful goal. Enzo Fernandez scores a beautiful goal. And Argentina come out 2-0 winners. Mexico sat back. They played an extremely defensive side <laughs> and didn't have anything coming off the bench. Because we talked about before the tournament, this is one of the weakest Mexican sides ever, and they're at risk at not only not qualifying for the knockout stages, but at risk of finishing last in the group, which was a group of Saudi Arabia, no offense to Saudi Arabia, I know they're punching above their rate right now. They should not have any points in this group right now. The fact they beat Argentina 2-1 two two to one is a minor miracle. Don't know how the hell that one happened. That game was at 4 o'clock in the morning, so apologies that I did not wake up for that one. I'm sorry about that. But man, 
Hey, round of applause, though, for Saudi Arabia for getting that win. That is very impressive, despite the fact lost their next game. I think Argentina kind of got their shit together. I expect them to... Oh, that game, that's going to be a fun game. Poland versus Argentina. That, there's a lot of weight in the rest of these games. A lot of weight in the rest of these games. Mexico needs to win like 4 nothing <laughs> to, to get back in this group. And then Argentina just win and not allow a goal from Poland. Or they could win 3 nothing, 3 nothing Because if Argentina scores, they win. Or they could just tie. I don't know. But a lot riding in this last game. November 30th is when those games kick off. Group D, France obliterated Australia. Australia scored in the ninth minute and then France woke up. Denmark and Tunisia drew. Nil-nil. Boring game. And then... Uh, Australia beat Tunisia, <laughs> which uh, was not really expecting. And then Denmark and France, France won 2-1. to one. And France is through the knockout stage, ultimately ending the streak of World Cup champions to go in the next tournament and get eliminated in the group stage. We knew that wasn't going to happen. You're in a group with Tunisia and Australia. France was not getting eliminated, but I thought Denmark would come in and be able to upset France. They came close to drawing with them, but Kylian Mbappe has been... Insane so far this tournament for France. France is so fast. And Olivier Giroud in the game against Australia scored two goals. He's joint all-time goal scorer for France history with Thierry Henry. And people are going to we're gonna retire. He's going to retire someday. And people are going to look at his numbers, look at his highlights, and go, man, this is one of the greatest players of all time. Nope. Wasn't. Very solid player. Uh, great. He's a, not a great goal scorer, but a goal, scorer of great goals. It's one of the old sayings about Olivier Giroud. But France looked good. France looked really good. And they lost Lucas Hernandez in the first game to a torn ACL. So quick recovery for Lucas Hernandez. Apparently he's thinking about retiring. Don't do that. Recover. You'll get back. And then you lost Kareem Benzema at the start of the term before the tournament started. You lost Christopher and Cuckoo. You lost Paul Pogba. You lost Angolo Conte. You lost all these freaking players. And they're still dominating. They have a plus four goal difference right now, and they've scored six goals this tournament. Like they are playing out of this freaking world. And I know a lot of people shat themselves when Australia scored early, but obviously France is going to blow them out of the water. I didn't think France would draw with Australia. We thought they'd win, that they'd lose to Denmark, and then beat Tunisia. So I thought they had six points. What do they have right now? I thought Denmark would come away with seven. Because they, I thought they would beat Tunisia, or beat Australia, draw one of the other games, and then beat France. I didn't think they'd go through on nine points. I didn't think that was going to happen. I thought they'd like draw Tunisia, beat Australia, beat France, and... We're going to move on from that and have them finish top. But, you know what? France is inevitable. France has really been, if not the, one of the best teams in this tournament so far. That's saying a lot. Because with how many injuries France has and how dominant they still are, and how many injuries they've, like, just, it's, it's insane. The people that are even still in the squad are battling some injuries, and they're balling out. They got a midfield pairing of Chumeni and Edrin Rabio. Edrin Rabio is... Like, I remember when he got linked to Manchester United, people were making fun of the move. Pop's like, no, we don't want Adrian Rabio to join Manchester United. He's been balling out this tournament for France. Like, France is just playing at another freaking level right now. And Kareem Benzema missing the tournament's big, obviously just won the Ballon d'Or, had a great season in Real Madrid. But Olivier Giroud was the striker when they won the World Cup in 2018. So they've been there, done that before. This is obviously how, this is probably how Didier Deschamps wants to play with a target, target man and a striker. And it's worked out. It's worked out. Cut it close against France or against Denmark, but uh, came away with victors there. A group E. Uh, th- this was kind of a similar situation to the <laughs> the Iran thing. So Costa Rica lost seven nothing in their game against Spain, and then won one nothing against Japan today, with Fuller scoring a nice goal in the 81st minute to get Costa Rica the win. 
seven nothing. Spain came out firing, and then Japan scored two goals in quick succession to beat Germany two to one. And the more I look at this group, this is one of the groups where I could say I was like, man, I'm actually kind of upset about this one. This is the one that's really getting messed up. Germany, if they don't beat <laughs> Costa Rica and Spain doesn't beat Japan, Germany's going out. Germany going out of the World Cup if they cannot beat Costa Rica and pray that Spain beats Japan, which I'm assuming Japan or Spain's going to play a very negative system or very, like drop a lot of players. They're pretty much through. I mean, you got a plus seven goal difference. I'm not really expecting Costa Rica to beat Germany. I'm not really expecting that. So they're probably through. That plus seven's really helping out here. But they won against what they drew today against Germany, 1-1. Costa Rica again obviously beat Japan. Japan beat Germany what two to one. It's just odd. Kai Havertz got dropped in this game. Kai Havertz obviously started up top for Germany in the first game. He was benched today. Like Germany is just. I don't know what to think about Germany. I don't really know what to say about Germany right now because they have the talent that where they should not be struggling like this. They should not be struggling. You have Manuel Neuer in net. You should not be allowing sorry, two goals that late and that quick succession to Japan. Sorry, Japan. Sorry, but Germany should not really have any issues there. But Spain, 7-0. That, that was just easy. <laughs> it was just a very, very easy game. Uh, Brian Torres had two goals in the game, one a penalty in the 31st minute. We had Danny Olmo and Marco Asensio getting a goal in this game. Marco Asensio has been playing as a false nine for Spain this tournament, and it's worked out so far. It's worked out so far. He got a goal in the first game. Their front three of Danny Olmo, Marco Asensio, and Ferran Torres. Then you got Gavi, uh, Jorge Soler, or Jorge Soler, <laughs> Carlos Soler, and Alvaro Morata scoring a goal in the game against Costa Rica. Alvaro Morata scored the goal against Ger- Germany today. Yeah, just a topsy-turvy group that could see Germany go out of the World Cup group stage, second World Cup in a row. And then Group F, Costa Rica, Morocco, 0-0 draw. First game, Belgium, 1-0 win over Canada. Uh, Alfonso Davies missed a penalty against Belgium, which I don't know why Alfonso Davies was taking the penalty. I know, I know why, but I don't know why, if that makes any sense. Like, Alfonso Davies is the best player for Canada. Alfonso Davies is the talisman for Canada. On the same breath, Alfonso Davies has never taken a penalty. And Jonathan David, their striker, has rarely missed a penalty. Why is Alfonso Davies taking the penalty? And we're just looking at the numbers. We're looking at the numbers here. Why is he taking a penalty in this stage? Do you just want him to score your first goal? Which he did. He did end up scoring Canada's first goal in the World Cup. They scored today in the second, basically the second minute. Pretty much had it for 90 seconds against Croatia before Croatia came up in a... <laughs> It <laughs> killed them in the second half. First team to be eliminated from the World Cup is Canada. With a minus four goal difference, they have zero points so far this tournament. They have one goal, five allowed. Not great. Not great. And I thought Canada would come in third. I was kind of flipping back and forth between them and Morocco. Belgium, though, I'm not really surprised what's happening to Belgium right now. So they lost to Morocco 2 nothing today. I'm not, again, I'm not too surprised that they're playing like absolute garbage because they aren't that good of a team. We talked about this before the World Cup. You can go back and listen to Friday's episode before the World Cup. Belgium's squad scares me. I don't understand why they're ranked so high according to the FIFA World Rankings because their squad is not good. Their squad was good four years ago. Well, the problem is it's the exact same squad, essentially, that it was four years ago. The only problem is 
The players that were on that squad four years ago are not the same level they were four years ago, i.e. Eden Hazard, Romelu Lukaku, Toby Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen, key starters in this team. They are not at the level they once were, and they stink. Kevin De Bruyne has played terrible this tournament so far. For being how good Kevin De Bruyne is, I don't know how he managed to get the man of the match award in this game. Like, they have stunk. They have stunk. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to be surprised when Belgium, or if Belgium doesn't make it out of the group, because they're playing Croatia in their next game. they got the two easy games to start, and now they're playing Croatia, who just won 4-1 today. Belgium just wants to, lost 2-0 to Morocco today. And Hakim Ziyech just won man of the match. So we have two Chelsea bench warmers, Hakim Ziyech and Christian Pulisic winning the man of the match in this tournament. That's fun. Like, Pulisic outplayed Mason Mount. He played Mason Mount off the field in that game. Crazy game for Pulisic, but you could have given the man a match award to anybody in the United States. It would have been Turner, Robinson, Adams, Musa, Pulisic, Dest, whoever you wanted to give it to. McKinney, like you could have given it to anybody, but this Belgium team's just not very good. They're just not. They're old and not very good. And then uh, Kevin De Bruyne said the other day, they asked him if they're going to win the Cruel Cup. He said, probably not, we're too old. And then Jan Vertonghen, if they lost 2 nothing today, Jan Vertonghen was like, maybe what, we couldn't score goals because we're too old probably. It's like, what the hell is going on in this team? How the hell? What's his, I'm forgetting, I'm completely blanking. Roberto Martinez, manager of Everton a few years ago, Wigan, whatever. How has he still had this team? How is he still the manager? Like, this is the same squad, essentially, from the, you know what? Let's look at this. um, 2018 World Cup squads. Let's look at it. I got to see this. What group was Belgium in? I don't really remember what group. They had to be in one of the later groups, right? No, they were England's group. They were in England's group, which I don't remember what group that was. <laughs> oh, there we are. Group G. Group G. Okay. Let's look at this. We're going side by side with Belgium and uh, and Belgium. Okay. Scroll down a little bit more. Sorry, this is taking a little bit. I'm trying to make sure it's equal. Not Iceland. Not Brazil. Not Switzerland. Not Germany. Hold on, sorry. Okay, here we go. I'm going by position. So in net, okay, we have, this is for this World Cup, Thibaut Courtois, Simon Mignolet, and Coan Castiles, who they have in 2018, Thibaut Courtois, Simon Mignolet, and Coan Castiles. Defensively, who'd they have? We have Toby Alderweireld in the 2022 World Cup. Arthur Thietti, Wout Fies, Jan Vertonghen, Thomas Mounier, Timothy Castagna, and Zeno DeBast. Okay? So we have a little bit different variety here. A little bit different. We have Toby Alderweireld, Thomas Vermalen, Vincent Company, Jan Vertonghen, Thomas Mounier, Dedrick Boyata, and the inner Dendonker, who was listed as a midfielder in 2022. He's a defender back then in uh, 2018. Now, Company's retired. Vermalen is retired. <laughs> Dedrick Boyata... I'm pretty sure was hurt before the tournament, if I'm remembering right. It's not saying. I don't remember if he was hurt or not. Hold on. Let me scroll down a little bit. Dedra Boyata? Oh, no. He just didn't get called up. So, okay. There's a little bit There's a little bit of a discrepancy there. A little bit of a discrepancy there. Well, only because two of them are retired. I'm pretty sure they would have been in the team had they not been retired. Then you look at the midfield. You got Axel Witzel, Kevin De Bruyne, Yuri Tielemans, Yannick Carrasco, Amadou Onana for Everton, Leander Dendonker, Hans Vaken, Vaneken, and Charles De 
Catelier. This one we have Axel Witzel, Kevin De Bruyne, Moron, Marouane Fellaini, Yannick Carrasco, who is... Oh, I didn't even realize he was... Oh, yeah, we already mentioned him. Yannick Carrasco. Thorgan Hazard, who says a forward on this team. Then uh, Yuri Tielemans, Moussa Dembele, Nasir Chadley. Okay, kind of a similar-ish situation here. Fellaini's retired from international football. Moussa Dembele, same thing. Nasser Chadley, is he retired? No, he just didn't get called up. But again, Witzel, De Bruyne, Carrasco, Hazard, Tielemans, same thing pretty much. They got some new blood sprinkled in there every once in a while. And then up top, you got Lukaku, Hazard, Mertens, Hazard, Troussard, Bashuai, Openada, Openda, sorry, and Doku. Okay, so we got Lukaku, Hazard, Hazard, Mertens, Yenizai, Bashuai, so yeah, a little bit different, but ultimately the exact same team that we saw. <laughs> a little, just a little different, a little different. Nothing crazy here, but it's just they're just not good. And you look at like Eden Hazard. You look at Roman Lukaku. They haven't been in form like three or four years. It's been a fat minute. So if they get out of the group, not gonna be surprised. I didn't even have them winning their next their knockout game. I am losing to Spain. And I'm not surprised Belgium's struggling right now. Croatia's playing well. They always play good in tournaments. Morocco surprised me. They got a squad. They got a solid team. I thought Canada would come through with the surprise tactic. They have not. Again, first team eliminated from the tournament. Moving on to Group G, Brazil, 2-0. There's, there's only been two, uh, one set of games played from Group G and Group H. Switzerland, 1-0 against Cameroon. Briel and Bolo scored. Didn't celebrate because uh, Cameroon is the country where he was born. Did not celebrate against them, which I, I find respectful. I like it. And then uh, Brazil... Uh, yeah, Richarlison scoring two goals, and Richarlison, good lord, <laughs> Richarlison, France look. Uh, it's only been one game. Brazil look good, and Neymar's not even going to play the rest of the group stage. He's bruised or sprained or fractured, whatever his ankle. She's going to be out for a little bit. It's all fat right now, but he'll be back. But again, like we said before, Brazil and France have looked the best so far, even though Brazil's only played once. And then the final group, we have Group H. We have Portugal beating Ghana 3-2. to two. And then, obviously, we said before, Uruguay and South Korea, zero goals, shooter shots on target, and they'll nail drop. Yeah, Portugal, yeah, really nice game for Portugal. Ronaldo's penalty was soft, but he scored it. Doesn't matter. Scored it. Uh, Rafael Liao scored in his first touch of the game. Jao Felix scored, both from Bruno Fernandes' assists. Uh, Ghana got an Andre Ayu's goal. And then Bukhari scored, did the Ronaldo C uh, celebration. So, uh yeah, 3-2. 3-2. Bruno Fernandez did not get man named man of the match in this game. Ronaldo did, which is a shame because Ronaldo scored the penalty. And Bruno did not score, though he made two assists. Basically created every single chance for Portugal in this game. They'll take on Uruguay in their next game, which will be tomorrow for you today. And South Korea will take on Ghana. So, so far in this tournament, there has been a lot of shockers. Maybe maybe to some people, some shockers to me, some non-shockers to me. It just It's been a fun tournament. In regards to what's going on in the field, it's been a, it's been a fun tournament. Now, for my predictions... Group A, we had Netherlands finish on top, Senegal second, Qatar third, Ecuador fourth, Group B, England first, USA second, Wales third, Iran fourth. Uh, Group C, we had Argentina, Poland, Mexico, Saudi Arabia. Group D, we had Denmark, France, Tunisia, and Australia. Um, Group E, we had Germany, Spain, Costa Rica, Japan. Group F, we had Belgium, Croatia, Canada, and Morocco. Group G, we had Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia, Cameroon. And Group H, we had Portugal, Uruguay, Ghana, and South Korea. And again, the the predictions are not doing that hot right now. Man's not hot right now in regards to predictions. But it's been fun. It's been fun. And 
you have certain moments where you're like, okay, I could be fine with prediction being wrong. Like, I want to see France do well. I like cheering for France. I really like Kylian Mbappe. I like Ousmane Dembele. I loved Antoine Griezmann back in the day. I like a lot of their players. I like a lot of their players. So I want to see France do well, so I'm fine with that being wrong. It was kind of a similar situation to what we saw in the Euros in 2018, or um, the World Cup in 2018. Kind of similar situation to the 2020 Euros, but different at the same time because Sweden didn't play that well in the Euros. They made it to the qualifying, the knockout stage, but that was pretty much it. They had that soulless loss to, <laughs> to Ukraine in the knockout stage. It was just brutal. And then, um, yeah, 2018, was Sweden won the group with Germany, Mexico, and South Korea. And I was like, man, screw the predictions. Let's just go. Let's go on and win this thing. <laughs> they obviously did not because they lost to England in, the I think, the quarterfinals. But, hey, you know what? It was awesome regardless. The United States, though, regards to them as a team, they need to beat Iran. And it's not even saying, like, obviously they need to beat Iran to win, like, to go on to the next round. They just need to beat Iran because they're better than Iran. They have been, again, playing the best, most consistent soccer, football in this group. England obviously exploded for six against Iran, but absolutely shit the bed against the United States. The United States looked good against Wales for most of the game, and then way outplayed England the entire game apart from about 15 minutes spark at the beginning for England like United States needs to win this game and I know before the tournament we said that this is a loot not a loot there's a win-win tournament for the United States because if you come in last in this group oh well it's a good building block for 2026 you win oh wow it's awesome no this United States team and we said this after the squad got announced this United States team is the best United States team they've ever had. They need to qualify from this group. They need to win games. And so far, they haven't, but they have played really, really well. And I hope this is nice momentum for the 2026 World Cup, which we got. Again, we got four years till that, so we got some time. But these players, this is much needed for them, and they're they're playing awesome. West McKinney's been linked with moves to Borussia Dortmund. Pulisic's getting linked with moves away from Chelsea, which is much needed because Chelsea just don't know how to play him, apparently. Like, well, they do. Like just bring him off the bench and then play him as a left wing back. So it's kind of a Chelsea fans that hate Pulisic. Like, come on, dude. You need to use your eyes to go. Wow, he might not be a left wing back. He not might he might not be this position. He might be actually pretty good. You play him as natural position, huh? That's actually freaking crazy. Can't believe that. Ridiculous. And then Reams played all like they just played really good. Tim Ream obviously won't be there in twenty twenty six because because he'll be thirty nine years old at that World Cup, so I highly doubt it'll be there. Who knows? I don't know if they'll be in the 26-man squad again like they did for this tournament. This was a special case because of it being Qatar, but I I don't know. We'll have to wait and see, but this World Cup has been fun to watch. It has been a fun World Cup to watch. Regardless of what's going on off the field and what I feel about the World Cup just being a Qatar in general is completely irrelevant to the fact that this has just been a fun tournament to watch, and we've stated our opinions about this World Cup and how stupid it is that it's in Qatar, but I, that's it's been fun. That's all I'm going to say right now. It's been fun. So moving on from soccer, unless I've got, do I have anything else I really am looking to talk about in regards to the world of soccer? Oh, I I, haven't, I guess I forgot about this. Tyler Adams. Congratulations, man. Youngest captain in the United States in history since 1950, I believe is what they said. Youngest captain at the World Cup. You look at all the captains of the World Cup. Tyler Adams is 23. The next youngest is Harry Kane at 29. Like Tyler Adams, much deserved captaincy. I'm glad Burt Halter nailed down a captain for this tournament. I'm really happy he nailed down a captain. It's been rotating between like Pulisic, Adams, McKinney, Walker Zimmerman, Zach Steppen, Aaron Long. Like it's been through everybody. I'm glad Tyler Adams is the captain. Much deserved. Much deserved. And I'm happy to see or excited to see what he does in the future as the captain of the United States. 
it's just fun. It's very, very fun to see what Tyler Adams is going to do in the future because I, I, he deserves it. He definitely deserves it. One of the most important pieces of this United States team. Now, with last week being Thanksgiving break, we obviously had football on Thanksgiving, both college and the NFL. Unfortunately, I'm not going to talk about the Mississippi State Ole Miss game because I did not watch that game. I kind of forgot it was on. I kind of forget the Egg Bowl gets played on Thanksgiving until I got back and then I was going to go to bed. I watched the Vikings versus Patriots game, which made me want to tear my heart out because I did not need the Patriots winning that game. But I digress. Thanksgiving football was pretty fun. Very stressful. Bills and Lions, 28-25. Bills come out on top. And it's funny because I sat there watching this game, and you've heard me bitch and moan and complain about the Buffalo Bills so far this season. How they're not playing very good right now. They won 28-25. The offense looks off. This all this different stuff. And I just looked, I thought about it on Friday night. Because I got the question posed to me about the Bills. Man, what's wrong with the Bills? What's wrong with the Bills? Are the Bills going to bounce back? What's this? And I sat there. I was like, man, I don't want to sound like an absolute bitchy asshole. And you look at what the Bills, like the Bills do look off to a certain extent. They're still averaging 28 points a game. They're still got the second highest offense per average in the NFL in regards to yards per game. Josh Allen is still second in the NFL in passing yards and touchdowns. Like, what What am I moaning about? Like, yes, the defense is hurt. They got Trey Davis White back, but he barely played, obviously, uh, against the Lions because he's just coming back from an ACL tear. And then we had a Von Miller scare tearing his ACL in the game against the Lions. He did not, thankfully. He's going to be out for a few games. Thanks to the Bills' Twitter account for saying he's going to be out for this game against the Patriots. Didn't need to, I kind of figured that one out. But... <sighs> Have they been not looking great? Yeah. But the crazy thing is, them not playing good is still better than 90% of the teams, 95, 99% of the teams in the NFL. Like, I remember there was an Aaron Rodgers quote the year before he won the MVP. Like, with the year they drafted Jordan Love, like, the year, what was it, the year before they drafted Jordan Love or something like that? Aaron Rodgers said before the season, my down years are some people's career years. And that's kind of what the situation is right now. This is a bad team, according to some people. They're 8-3. and three. They average 28 points a game. They average over 400 yards total offense a game. Their quarterback, yes, he throws the odd interception, but as leads the as top two in the NFL in passing yards, top two in the NFL in passing touchdowns, has almost 600 yards rushing on the season through 11 games. And we're talking about how bad this team is. People are talking about what's wrong with this team. If this is them when they're bad, I don't know what they're going to look like when they're good. Like, the Lions' defense has sucked all year. Yes, I'm well aware of that. The Bills still managed to score 28 points. The Lions' offense has been somewhat good this season, especially with Amon Ross St. Brown coming back. Jamal Williams, I think, scored 13 touchdowns on the season or something ridiculous like that. Like, the Lions are a bad team, but not a horrific team. This is not the same Lions team that we watched last year. This is a decent enough Lions team that actually plays to win games, plays to be the upset, all those different things. The Bills against their bad defense still score 28 points. 28 points on short notice. Like, it's, you already had the messed up situation with the Browns game the week before. We had to play that game in Detroit. They're the first team that went back-to-back games in Detroit since 2016, and they've only played there twice in the same week. And they got Thursday night football game this coming week against the New England Patriots, which they sh- which they should win. But who knows? Who knows? Because the Bills are bad. Remember, the Bills are bad. 
But yeah, second win in five days at Ford Field for the Buffalo Bills. That's what you like to see. 28 points. Man, this team looks bad. This is a bad football team, remember? I got a message from Zach, who's been on the show before, talking about how bad the Bills are, how I'd be embarrassed about the Bills beating beating the Lions all by three points, and that the Cowboys beat the Vikings by 37 points. It's like, I don't care. I really don't care. If this team's bad, I don't know what a good team looks like. Because we're looking at talking about offensive numbers. Bills and Cowboys ain't really that close to each other. It's the same team that lost to the freaking Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers. The I could sleep fine knowing that the Bills' three losses have come against teams with winning records. All by one score. I could sleep calmly knowing that they did not get blown out of the water in any of those games. I could, feel, I could sit calmly with that. I was up, I've been upset after these games because they're games the Bills should have won. That's another thing. The Bills beat themselves, really, in these games. Some crappy turnovers, some missed opportunities. And they're 8-3. Like, you know, I don't really think about this all that often because it doesn't feel like it. Last year, there was one point where the Bills were sitting at 7-6. and six. And I don't remember being this upset last year when the Bills were 7-6. and six. They lost to the freaking Jaguars. And were 7-6. and six. The team that had not won on U.S. soil in over a year. Like, their one win came against the Dolphins in London. With Urban Meyer. Talk about embarrassing losses. I'll take this season over that stinker last year. At least the Bills lost. They're scoring 20 points. Is it frustrating that the Bills are losing these games? Yes, because they lost the Dolphins by two, lost the Jets by three, lost the Vikings by three for a combined score of eight points that they've lost by. Like, the Bills have already beaten Patrick Mahomes on the road. They've already beaten Lamar Jackson. Like, they lose to Kirk Cousins, Zach Wilson, and Tua. Yes. And Zach Wilson getting benched, not only benched, getting healthy scratched makes that loss feel even worse. But I'll take it. There's a lot worse teams with a similar record to the Buffalo Bills. I'm, I'm sitting pretty cool right now. Like, there's a lot of teams that are worse right now. You could be the Buccaneers and be 5-6 and six right now have Super Bowl aspirations. You could be the L.A. Rams and currently be sitting at 3-7 and seven down 13 of the Kansas City Chiefs with Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, and Allen Robinson all potentially out for the year. I could be those guys. You could be the Denver Broncos. No one wants that. Super Bowl aspiration Broncos, 3-8, and eight, lost to Sam Darnold. Like, there's a lot of teams I could be a fan of right now and feel a lot worse that similar aspirations to the Buffalo Bills this season. And the Bills are the bad team sitting at 8-3 and three with a number two offense in the NFL, with a quarterback that is second in the NFL in passing yards and passing touchdowns, where the defense has been injured to hell and back without their best player and Vaughn Miller without their best linebacker and Tremaine Edmonds, without their, the best safety team in the league for the entire season. Jordan Porter is just now getting back. Trey White's just getting back. I'm cool. I'm sitting pretty right now. Three-point win. Do you want to win by more against the Lions? Do you want to leave it to a last-second field goal? Yes and no. You don't want to You want to beat the Lions by more. You do not want to leave it to a last-second field goal, but they won. 
and they're going in the remaining games of their season thinking that I, I believe they can win the rest of their games. You got the Patriots, Jets, Dolphins. I've already talked about I don't think they'll lose to the Jets and Dolphins again. I know the Dolphins are playing really well, too. is playing really good, but I don't think they'll lose to the Jets and Dolphins again. Bears, Bengals, and Patriots. Bengals team just depends on which Bengals team shows up. I don't know which one's going to show up. So I have <laughs> going to be a really good Bengals team. It could be a really shit-ass Bengals team. But Jamar Chase will be healthy by that point. He should play next week, apparently, according to reports. I mean, the Cowboys beating the Giants 28-20. Fun game there. And then the Patriots and Vikings. Matt Jones actually played pretty good in this game. Matt Jones played really well. And Justin Jefferson played really well, as per usual. And the Vikings came out 33-26 victors. And it's a game I thought the Vikings would win fairly easily. They did not. And, uh, yeah, those are your Thanksgiving games. Hopefully the Bills can have a dominating win over the New England Patriots, which, which, which we're hoping for. It's what we're hoping for. And then we had some games going on today in the NFL. We had, we had the Bucks losing the Browns. We already talked about that before. Deshaun Watson will be back next week against the Houston Texans, which should be very interesting to see how he's received down in Houston. Probably not great. Probably not great. Not just because of how he left, but, you know, the, uh, you know, the off-the-field issue stuff. Then we had the Bengals, their Ohio neighbors, beating up the Tennessee Titans 20-6. We had uh, the Houston Texans lose the Dolphins 30-15. Tua had a weird game. Like, a good game. I don't want to take it. Like, Tua had 299 yards passing a touchdown. But it was just odd because there was a point where he was, like, on pace for 500-something yards. Tua just, like, for what Tua has done so far this season since coming back from the injury against the Bengals, this was an off game for Tua, which is weird to say. But, uh, yeah. Dolphins won by 15 points. And then the Jets beat up on the Bears. We were treated to a potential Mike White versus Nathan Peterman Bowl because apparently Trevor Simeon sprained his oblique in the warmups. And then the Bears, being the dickhead Bears that they are, decided, you know what? I know we announced that Nathan Peterman's going to play. Actually, Trevor Simeon with his hurt oblique is going to play. And the, you know what? The football guide smited the Bears and made him lose 30-10 to 10 to the New York Jets and Mike White. And this is just a funny situation with Zach Wilson because... I remember back in 2021, before the draft, we were talking about our quarterback rankings, and we went over the talking about each quarterback like we do now. We go over each quarterback and talk about what they're good at, what they're bad at, and stuff like that. I sat here, not here, but on the Logan Blackman show, and defended Zach Wilson's character because people were coming out after him and saying, "Dude's an ass hat because he comes from money." I was like, "He might be an ass hat. I don't know him. I don't really know him." But don't label him an asshat just because he comes from money. That's not fair. He was a captain at BYU. People said he wasn't. He had the seat on his jersey, voted as captain. You don't just stitch that onto the jersey just because he was voted as a captain. Like, people were writing off these things about Zach Wilson. I was like, ah, let's not bash anybody yet. Let's not bash anybody yet. And slowly but surely, it didn't happen as abruptly as Josh Rosen did. But I think we're seeing Josh Rosen 2.0 here. Is that fair to say? Is that, is that what we're seeing here? Because Zach Wilson, we talked about this with Justin Fields. Remember a few weeks ago or a few months ago? I don't remember what loss it was. I think it might have been the Packers loss to the Bears. Where Justin Fields came in after the game and basically said, we feel this loss worse than the fans because we're in the building every single day. Stuff like that. I don't remember exactly what he said. But it, I said, it doesn't matter if it's true. You can't come out to the media and say that. You can't come out to the media and go, ah, fans, you don't know what the real problems is. It's true. Fans aren't in the building. You probably hurt more than the fans do. It's probably true. But you can't say it. And Zach Wilson came out really dickheadish against the New England Patriots. So the Patriots win the game 10-3 to on a punt return at the end of the game to win it. And after the game, a reporter asked Zach Wilson if he feels any responsibility for the New York Jets. 
offense being sucky and that they let the defense down. Zach Wilson just bluntly said no. Again, it doesn't matter if you actually feel like that. You cannot say it. You cannot say it. You can feel that internally, but never go to the media and say that. And with those situations, I heard this quote last week. It was with Dan Orlovsky, I believe it was. Said, when you lose, it's I and me. When you win, it's us and we. You cannot just bluntly say no when the reporter asks, hey, do you feel any response for your offense scoring three points and losing the Patriots? Your defense played really, really well. You can't say no. Again, don't matter if it's right. Don't matter if you actually feel like that. You can't say it. And for the dickheads that are also out there saying, what, the Patriots, why did you bet him? Zach, Zach Wilson's 5-1 as a starter this year. Shut up. I saw RG3 saying that again. Zach Wilson sucked against the Patriots. Zach Wilson, I think his best game of his career came against the Bills a couple weeks ago. Like, stop. The Jets are not good because of Zach Wilson. I'm sorry. I really have no general issue with Zach Wilson as a player, but they're not. This is, again, the exact reason why quarterbacks are wins are not a quarterback stat. Wins can happen because of a quarterback, but they're not the sole reason because of a quarterback. And Zach Wilson, with how he played against the New England Patriots and how he played it's multiple games throughout his career because he's not been very good so far at this point. I was holding out hope for him because he is very talented. He's got the talent to be good, but it was just a matter of can he figure it out. So far, he is not. You cannot list any record that the Jets have up to this point as Zach Wilson. You can't. I'm sorry. That is bullshit that you even try to come up with that as a potential reason. Like, man, how could you bench this guy? He's 5-1. Shut up. Shut up. Zach Wilson needed to be benched. And I'm not surprised that he goes a healthy scratch because I think that's obviously, I think that's another smart move from the New York Jets. Apparently the defense wasn't really happy with the whole situation. Him and Mike White seemed to get along fairly well. Him and Joe Flacco seemed like the offense for the most part, seem to get along with them, apart from Elijah Moore, who just pretty vocally does not like Zach Wilson. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think we might be seeing another Josh Rosen situation here where he bounces around for 20 different teams. I don't know if Josh Rosen's on the team now. But Josh Rosen just seems lost. <laughs> Remember, his Twitter account was uh, his draft day picture. Or no, 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 no. Draft day picture was his header. Cardinals was his what was it? It was something. What was his his bio or his header was Dolphins by picture was Cardinals bio said Browns or something like that. Was that what that whole thing was? I don't really remember what the whole. Let's see what. Okay, draft day is profile. Dolphins is header, and then yeah, quarterback Cleveland Browns still is still is bio. So like you just be like that, and you're just lost. You're just an absolute. You're just lost. And. uh I think that what we might be seeing here. Now, the other question is, if Zach Wilson is not the guy here in New Jersey, who will be the guy next? Do I think the Jets will go out and draft a quarterback? I don't necessarily think that. I think the Jets, this offseason, will make a move that we kind of linked them to last offseason, and that's go out and sign Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is a fine quarterback. He's not an amazing quarterback. But he's familiar enough with the system that LaFleur and Salah have in place in New Jersey. I think he'd be a solid fit with the Jets. He's playing well for the 49ers right now. And I think they should just move forward with Lance at this point. Maybe others disagree with me on that. Because remember, Lance played bad in that monsoon game against the Bears that we've already written him off. Remember that? So, uh, yeah, I think the Jets should go out and get Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Because where they're going to pick in the draft, I think you go out and get like a tackle or something. Because it looks like they're pretty fed up with Mekhi Becton. Can't stay healthy for shit. So, yeah, I think they might go after like a tackle like Broderick Jones from Georgia or something like that. Maybe that's what we're looking at. I almost said Broderick Bins from Iowa. back D-tackle back in the day from Iowa. But, uh, yeah, I think that's the direction we'll probably go and go with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback this offseason, possibly. Or stick it out with Mike White. Run the way with Mike White. Maybe that's what happens. But like we said last year, remember when Mike White was really balling out? He won against the Bengals. He, then he got absolutely shit-rocked against the Bills. Remember that? It was like, it doesn't matter how good Mike White played at that time because Zach Wilson just got drafted. They're going to go forward with him. When you have a top draft pick, your leash is going to be a lot longer than a journeyman NFL quarterback. That's just how it is. Regardless if you think that's right or wrong, that's just how it is. And last year we saw that at hand. We saw Zach Wilson get hurt, and then we saw Zach Wilson come back in after Mike White played pretty well during the midseason portion part of the game against the Bills. And then this year, Zach Wilson comes in as a starter. People have questions about it, but he's got a long leash. And he comes back. Joe Flacco plays really, really well in the first few games of the season. And then Zach Wilson's put back in the team. And I don't know if Zach Wilson will get the starting job back whenever his suspension is done or quote-unquote suspension is done because he's not technically suspended. But uh, he the leash has been shown there, and it's getting shorter and shorter as we go on. This is how it is right now. This is how it feels. But sticking with the 2021 20, NFL draft class, Trevor Lawrence got a really nice win today. Trevor Lawrence had the best game of his career today against the Baltimore Ravens. Three touchdowns. 321 yards passing. Yeah, Travis Etienne get hurt early on in the game. Missed it. Zay Jones. Zay freaking Jones. 145 yards receiving in the game. Then we had a Marvin Jones touchdown with 14 seconds left to steal victory from the jaws of defeat. And though Justin Tucker waddled out there for a 67-yard field goal and how scary that is, he did come up short on it. So the Jaguars come out on top. So Trevor Lawrence... 321, three tutties, no interceptions. That's what we wanted to see. That was his best game of his career. And the best part about this is he hasn't thrown an interception in three games. He didn't throw one today, didn't throw one against the Chiefs, didn't throw one against the Raiders. There were two against the Broncos in London, and they came up on the losing side of that one. And with the Broncos, goddamn, I don't really know what to say about that team. That team is freaking lost. And Nathaniel Hackett. That dude stinks. That dude absolutely reeks as a head coach. Like, Nathaniel Hackett, third consecutive Broncos head coach with a 3-7 and seven start in the first 10 games of their career, Vance Joseph and Vic Fangio. This dude stinks. And again, we said this a few weeks ago. This is another situation of, oh, he coached with a insert NFL legend. He's a really good, he's a really good offensive coordinator. Or we could look at it as, wow, he coached with an insert NFL legend. He probably didn't need to do a whole lot because insert NFL legend did everything on that offense. And those NFL legends are Rodgers, Manning, and Brady. Josh McDaniels, Adam Gase, and Anthony Hockett. You want to know what they all have in common? They've all been a part of the Denver Broncos organization. Stop hiring these people. I know Adam Gase was there with Peyton Manning, but they brought in Josh McDaniels. They brought in Nathaniel Hackett. Just stop. Just Stop. It's not freaking worth it at this point. Fire Hackett. I don't know what they're going to do with Russell Wilson. I don't know what that situation is because the Broncos, like, they're freaking awful. Russell Wilson ranks 35th. Rank, where Russell Wilson ranks among 35 qualified quarterbacks. Win percentage, 29th. 
Passing touchdowns, 28th. Passer rating, 29th. Complete percentage, 31st. Pass a touchdown inter- passing touchdown ratio, 27th. Pass touchdown per attempt, 33rd. The Broncos this season have wasted a very good defense. Very good defense. The Broncos have allowed over 20 points three times this season. Three times this season. <laughs> if like let's look at this. I saw something earlier today or earlier this week, I guess, that said the Broncos scored 18 points in every game. Let's see what the record would be. So against the Seahawks, 18 points would get them a win. Get them a win. Which is a game that they should have probably won anyways if their brains didn't shut off and not call a timeout. That was the first sign of Nathaniel Hackett being a bum as a head coach with the Denver Broncos, at least for this year. Could have changed next year if they somehow managed to keep him on. Uh Seahawks loss, you get trained up to win. Raiders, that was a loss. Colts, you have a win. Chargers, you have a one point loss. Tough one. Let's change, you know what? Let's change it to 20. Let's change it to 20. Nice round number 20. I see that score a lot more than 18. So 20. So you beat the Seahawks, beat the Texans, beat the 49ers. You still lose the Raiders. You beat the Colts, beat the Chargers, beat the Jets, you beat the Titans. So you're sitting with a record of seven and four versus a 3-8 and eight record. If you just scored 20 points a game, 20. Like, let's see a team that's averaging 20. What teams are averaging uh, 20 points a game right now? Let's just see. So the Broncos would have to be either the Chicago Bears or the New York Jets. That's all people are asking right now. 20 points is equal to the Jets and the Bears. Okay, can we wrap our heads around that for a little bit? You would score one more point than the Giants, Commanders, and Panthers. That's it. That's all you need to do. These offenses. I know the Jets and Giants have good records, but they can be very anemic at times on offense. That's all you're needing here. Like, you're scoring less. You're getting 20 points, scoring less points to the freaking Falcons, the Saints, the Raiders, who you should be way better than because they're just giving away wins at this point. The Lions, the the Cowboys, like, there's some teams that you just, like, all you need to do is average 20 points a game. And you're still in the bottom half of the league in regards to scoring offense, but you're sitting at 7-4 and four rather than 3-8. 20 points. They are averaging 14 points a game. 32nd in the NFL for team scoring behind the Colts and Texans who have had nothing going for them offensively all season. Like, the Broncos are a freaking joke at this point, and I don't really know what to say more about that. <laughs> and then speaking of, while we're on the top of jokes, uh, the Washington Commanders, uh, they continue to shit themselves every single opportunity they can, and today their opportunity to shit themselves was creating a Sean Taylor, not statue, mannequin at the stadium, which um, was just... <sighs> Let's, I, I gotta pull it up just so I can see it again. It's it's just it's just stupid. It's just stupid. Like, I'm gonna pull up a picture of Sean Taylor, the actual Sean Taylor. And then let's see. Okay, so Sean Taylor, they have the jerseys, they have the red helmets, white jersey, red pants, black shoes, and it just looks terrible. Not to mention the jersey. Is Nike, 
and the pants are Reebok. Now, Sean Taylor did like to wear soccer-ish shoes while playing, if you want to call him that. Like, similar-ish shoes to what they have on the mannequin, but even then, that's a freaking re- He wore Adidas shoes. I don't know if those are the exact shoes that you would consider Sean Taylor wearing in the NFL. They're, they're the freaking 1900 soccer cleats from the early World Cup days, the black cleats. You should know exactly, with the white stripes on the side, you should know exactly what cleats I'm talking about. And they wouldn't even, they couldn't even bother to tuck the socks in on the back. You could see the gray part of the sock in the back. Like, you couldn't even, like, Sean Taylor was on pace to become one of the greatest safeties in NFL history. I think everybody's aware of that at that point. And this is in the situation of overrating a guy that passed away, and now we're going to just go, oh, man, he was so great. No, Sean Taylor was on pace to be amazing in the NFL. And this is what it is. I, I, I like the fact that his daughter was there and, like, was happy about it, but, man, it's just bad. Like, it's just some random helmet and random jersey and random pants. Like, nothing of this he wore. He didn't wear a Nike jersey. The NFL wasn't sponsored by Nike when he played. Sean Taylor would sometimes tape the top of his helmet. It's just a random-ass helmet. Like, if you're going to honor one of your greatest ever players, one of your greatest ever defensive players, do better than that. And it's like every single time they need a publicity boost, Sean Taylor just comes out of the blue because no one hates Sean Taylor. No one has anything bad to say about Sean Taylor. So whenever something bad happens with the organization, this garbage-ass organization, Sean Taylor gets pushed to the forefront. You don't actually care about Sean Taylor. You just use him to get get some crap off your backs. Or have people look away for a little bit. It's sad. It's really sad. And to go with this little effort, they unveiled this. Someone sat there. Like it, it, it just sums up the Dan Snyder reign as the owner and whatever the hell you want to call him of the Washington Commanders football team and Redskins. Whatever. It's just a freaking joke. This got put together in 15 seconds. It looks like garbage. He didn't wear any of that. It just looks bad. A mannequin to honor Sean Taylor. You thought we were like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. We're honoring Sean Taylor. And instead, we're just going to put on a freaking mannequin and throw a Nike jersey, which again, he never wore, and Reebok pants, which just doesn't match the jersey, it's just like, it just took so little. They retired his number last year without even really telling his family they were retiring his number. Like, oh, Dan Snyder's got some heat on him. Uh, let's retire Sean Taylor's number. That's the same thing that happened this time. Isn't it very convenient that both of these Sean Taylor incidences happened when the Commanders or Redskins or football team had some shit hit the fan? It's stupid and it's sad. Honoring Sean Taylor is good. I'm all for it. But to do it in this soulless way like this pisses me off. It's sad. It sucks. It's stupid. It's all of the above. And it looks it looks bad. And the Commanders ended up winning today. But I don't think anybody really cares. Somehow the Commanders are 7-5. and five. Good on you. You're turning into the Iowa Hawkeyes. You're like, oh, man, they're 7-5. and five. Make me the playoffs. Can't let the entire sell the team now. God damn, I hate this team. 
And then we got the Chiefs beat the Rams. Uh, the Chargers came back to beat the Cardinals. Cardinals now 4-8 and eight on the season. Uh, Raiders came back to tie the Seahawks, so it's 34-34 going overtime. Niners are beating the Saints 13 and nothing. Yeah, it's... Uh, the Commanders are a freaking mess. And I just... Uh, it just pissed me off. But yeah, speaking of the Iowa Hawkeyes, um, with an opportunity to lock up a chance to play in the Big Ten Championship game, uh, you lose to Nebraska. You beat them seven years in a row. And then the one year you lose to them was this year. And I was sitting there. So, was, I was, again, I was at Brady's watching this play, watching this game, to watch the USA-England game. This game started right after the Iowa game, or after the USA game. I was sitting there. I was like, do I want to watch Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game again? Do I want to sit there and watch that? Really? Do I want to subject myself to that? Like I watched it last year against Michigan, and I it was like Iowa did not watch a single lick of Michigan film last year. Because like I'm not saying I'd be the greatest offensive coordinator of all time, but you don't need to be a brain surgeon to go like, oh, Iowa's weakest part of this team, off to line, Michigan's best, their defensive line. How about we don't do five-step drops? Huh. That would be a good plan, but you have to remember, I'm Brian Ferentz. I don't believe that. This system got us here. We're going to ride it till we die. And then you die, and you're like, okay, well, we shouldn't have done that. So Iowa finished the regular season at 7-5. and five. Peters gets hurt. Padilla comes in to finish the game off and throws a game-sealing interception late. And uh, Caleb Johnson, uh, from what I understand, I didn't really notice this during the game. But I saw it on Twitter afterwards. Uh, Caleb Johnson did not get a single carry in the, set in the fourth quarter. 109 yards rushing, none in the fourth quarter. Is that true? Like, it's just, and people are going to, I'm, and I'm, and the reason why I was sitting there, not only just because of what happened last year against Michigan, this loss to Nebraska and the way it happened in a season Iowa has had up to this point, it was kind of nice because I know I don't need to listen to the Iowa fans out there that say we got to back, back, back to back big 10 championship games. Why change it? I was kind of sitting there I was like, I don't need that. I don't need to have my brain explode listening to people without a brain talk about, oh, Iowa's offense, we used it. We had the same offense back-to-back years, made back-to-back Big Ten Championship games. And you know what was sad? That Iowa losing this game did not ultimately steal them out of the Big Ten Championship game. They needed Purdue or Illinois to lose to Northwestern or Indiana, which neither one of them did. Purdue's going to the Big Ten Championship game against, against Michigan, which we'll go to with that in a little bit. But it's just like, it's so frustrating. Because they're not going to do anything about it. Like, I, I don't know. It's like a giant pop propaganda train. Like, Jake Butt on the commentary was even like, man, Peters rarely makes mistakes. It's like, what the? How many Iowa games have you watched this year? Clearly none. I know he's broadcast a couple of them where you were watching with, like, eye patches on or something. Like, what the hell are you talking about? This offense reeks, and Petrus looks more like a dickhead than ever because of, you wrote us off, and you lose to freaking Nebraska. Three and eight Nebraska. It's like losing the Denver Broncos. No one loses. The Panthers don't even lose the Denver Broncos. Northwestern doesn't even lose to Nebraska. And you lose to them at home. Hell, Georgia Southern even beats Nebraska. Ridiculous. 
No one in the NFL, uh, the team that's supposed to be very good, be the top of their division, loses to the Denver Broncos in the NFL. No one with that kind of, I don't know. It's so insanely frustrating because people are still going to find ways to defend this, and it pisses me to hell. Pisses me off to hell. It's it's infuriating. And seven and five Iowa. I don't know what bowl game they're going to go to. I don't. I didn't need to watch them. Now we know get blown up by Michigan. I didn't need to see that. I know they played well against Michigan that time, but. Yeah, no, it wouldn't happen again. Now, Michigan, the reason that I would be more scared if I was in the Big Ten Championship game now than I would have been on Friday is the fact that Michigan discovered they could throw the football. Uh, J.D. McCarthy threw the ball really, really well. And they still, like, Edwards ran for 218 yards. Blake Corum had some injury problems going into the game, so he only had two carries. And J.D. McCarthy had three touchdowns. He didn't complete a high percentage of his passes, but he had 263 yards passed, three touchdowns. Cornelius Johnson, 160 yards receiving and two touchdowns. Donovan Edwards, 216 rushing, two touchdowns. Uh, they beat the crap out of Ohio State back-to-back years. This game was worse scoreline-wise, if I remember right, but Michigan beat the tar out of Ohio State last year. Like, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo double-teamed, tanked Nicholas P. Ferrer's draft stock. And, I mean, I think he's still starting for the Titans, but dropped him all the way to, I think, the third or fourth round as a potential first-round draft pick. The third or fourth round's not great. But they just dominated him. They dogged them. They scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. Like, C.J. Stroud hey, threw for 349 yards, two touchdowns, but he had two picks. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. balled out his purr. Like, they, they just got ass-pounded by Michigan. Back-to-back years. So Michigan's going back-to-back Big Ten Championship games. Realistically, should have no problems in the Big Ten Championship game because they're playing Purdue. So we shouldn't have a ton of issues in this game for Michigan. Michigan right now is a 16-point favorite. 16 points for Michigan right now. Over-under is 51. But it should be a fun game. It is the only... This is interesting. This is the only conference championship game to not have two ranked teams in it. And people want to believe the Big Ten is the best conference of college football. No, the best side of the conference is one of the best sides of college football. But, uh, yeah, every other game has got two ranked opponents in it apart from the Big Ten, which is kind of sad. Now... Other games that were big this weekend, uh, Florida versus Florida State. Anthony Richardson said they're going to beat Florida State and lost. Now, it was a good game, really good game, but you, you can't say that and, and lose. Sorry. North Carolina lost to NC State. Bad loss. Um, Drake May did not have a great game. Did not at all, and they lost by 30-27. to UCLA struggled against Cal, but ended up beating them 35-28. Tulane beat Cincinnati 27-24. Texas beat Baylor 38-27. And then moving on to Saturday, Saturday's games. We had Georgia struggling early with Georgia Tech. They were down 7-3. Came back to 137-14. Iowa State ass-blasted by TCU, which I don't think a lot of people are surprised about. Like, I was talking to Brady on Sat on Friday where after the United States-England game. He was like, I think we're going to be – they can probably lose 38-6. It was a score prediction. It was uh, 34-7 to at halftime. Ended up being 62-14. to Max Duggan, three touchdowns in the game. Yeah, it was just a, Iowa State, 4-8. and 4-8, and eight, Iowa State. Wow. Like, I didn't think they were going to be very good, like as good as what they were last year because they lost like key pieces. I don't remember. I think we had set in five. But 4-8, and eight, they, are, they were bad. 
They got destroyed in this game. Absolutely destroyed. Like, Max Duggan only needed had three rushing yards in this game. Uh, it, it's, wow, it was a brutality of a game. Now, right now, with so LSU lost to AM, USC beat Notre Dame 38-27. Right now, we are looking at a college football playoff, if it stands after conference, conference championship weekend, where we have Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. I'm not saying that's how the order will be, because I could see a reality where Michigan jumps Georgia, maybe. I don't know. But, like, because Michigan, people are going to go Michigan and have those games against Kent State and Missouri, but Georgia also beat the number one team in the country. But then Michigan basically go, well, you did it at home. We beat Ohio State on the road and handed them a three-touchdown loss. So I could see both ways. I think Georgia will retain number one spot, and I think Michigan will probably be two with TCU three. I don't think TCU, knock on wood, TCU and Michigan will have any problems going to the playoff. And I'd rather just see these four teams all win conference championship weekend because I don't want to see the reality of, like, Bama going to the playoff and then everybody flipping shit about Bama going to the playoff again and the SEC bias. That's clearly there, but I don't I don't need it. I don't really need it. I'm just tired of it. I just want to see a fine playoff, just breeze through, have no issues, no controversy. I just want to see four teams everybody can be happy about. And I think a Final Four of Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC would be just freaking awesome. Now, speaking of USC, with that 38-27 win, did we see Caleb Williams steal the Heisman away from C.J. Stroud in this game? Was this the game that stole the Heisman away from him? Because I think most people were understanding that C.J. Stroud was the Heisman favorite going into this past Saturday. And Caleb Williams scores four touchdowns. He didn't put up a shit ton of passing yards, but he had only four completions. With three passing, three rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown, picked up some big gains on the ground, scored a touchdown in the game late that sealed the game on a quarterback read, and right now he has thirty-seven hundred yards passing, thirty-four touchdowns, three picks. So Caleb Williams, I think, like the entire season, it's seemingly been Hooker versus Stroud. That's what it seemed like, and then there was others like Williams, Corum, Bryce Young, uh, Max Duggan. Like there's other players down there, but. Caleb Williams has passed Stroud because post, um, what game was that? There was a specific game post, uh, post Penn state game or pretty much. Po yeah. Post Penn state game, post Iowa game, I guess. Cause he didn't play very good against Iowa though. He threw four touchdowns, which is weird to say, but he really didn't play that great post Penn state game. I think that's where he lost it. So pre Penn state game, Stroud had what? 10, 12, 17, 22, 26, 28 touchdowns. The Stroud finished the season with 37, with six interceptions. So you fit, you had 28 touchdowns, if I did the math right, 28 touchdowns through your first six games, six, seven games, with two of those games being against Arkansas State and Toledo, and then Rutgers. So you blew up the Heisman stuff early on. I was really hesitant to have C.J. Stroud win the Heisman anyways. I thought Hendon Hooker, given the schedule that he played, and given how he never really had a bad game, even when they got blown out by South Carolina, he didn't really play, play that bad, and he tore his ACL. But I was on the Hendon Hooker hype train at that point. So I thought he was a better runner, did more with his feet. Stroud had one game where he ran the ball pretty well against Northwestern just because he had to, because he had the rain and the wind and everything else. But then Hooker got hurt, and then it was like, okay, Stroud's got it right now. And then Stroud... 
did not play very good against Michigan. Again, you can't just look at the numbers. He did not play very good against Michigan. And Caleb Williams has been playing really well all season, has never really had an off, quote-unquote, off game. He's had, like, some weird games. Like, the game against Oregon State was weird. The game against Oregon State was weird. I remember that game a few weeks, like, at the early portions of the season. The game against Fresno State was weird because Fresno State was in the game for most of it, and then USC just blew him out in the second half. Like, at halftime, it was 17-10, USC. And then they blew him out 45-17 to because Caleb Williams turned it on in the second half. But that game was also weird. But other than the Fresno State and Oregon State game, which were back-to-back games in September, you can't sit there and say Caleb Williams had a bad game the rest of the year. Like, he threw three interceptions the entire season. And in those games where he threw an interception, they, well, the USC game, USCL, geez, UCLA game was a closer one, but the, what game? Arizona State game and the Cal game, or no, the Cal, the Colorado game were blowouts. The Utah game, they're unfortunate they did not win that game. Probably should have, but Cam Rising and Utah again going for two at the end of the game. At least that's how I remember it. Back in October, because that was the same weekend as the, I believe, Bills-Chiefs game, if I remember right. But, uh, yeah, I think Caleb Williams won the Heisman. I think that's what we're looking at right now, which is kind of funny because at one point in the season, I thought Ohio State was unbeatable. I thought Ohio State was going to breeze through the big time. I was like, oh, they're not going to lose to Michigan again. And then post that Iowa game, it's like, what happened? Like, we had this idea that Ohio State struggled early in games and torched teams in the second half, but they'd start slow and then never really get into that second gear as the game went on, post that Iowa game. And that's where everything started to switch. Like, oh, maybe they do lose to Michigan. Maybe Michigan can beat them. I don't think I ever said that, but it's like that feeling in the back of your stomach. Like, oh, man, maybe they can. Especially after Michigan blew out Penn State in the way they did. Because was my we were driving up to Kansas City from, De- from Hillsborough, Texas that day. Because that was the Bills Chiefs weekend, too. Because I remember Penn State was winning and had one first down. It was a weird game, and then Michigan ended up blowing them out in the second half. But they had that weird game against Illinois. But, man, with J.J. McCarthy throwing the ball... That allowed them to come through and come up with a massive ass. So they scored 28 points in the second half to Ohio State's three. And I think with that game and some of the other games sprinkled throughout the season, like the Northwestern game was weird. I get the weather conditions were a thing, but I think Caleb Williams won the Heisman. And USC is firmly back on the college football, the top of college football, the big table. And I'm glad, like, it's weird because, like, Texas is another example of that. I don't want Texas to be good. It doesn't hurt my feelings, but it, I like I don't doesn't hurt my feelings to see him doing bad, and I just don't like generally. I don't know. I don't even know how to work with this. I don't hate hate Texas, but I don't want to see him do good. Like I'm fine with USC doing good. I like USC. I like the traditions that they have there. I like all their past players. I loved watching USC grow up, growing up, and now they're back. And we said before the season started, they were my dark horse playoff team, and now. They have a chance to make the playoff if they win their conference championship game against Utah. They can't go if they lose. And that's the only conference championship game where I'm really sitting there like, oh, they could lose that game because they did lose that game earlier this year. LSU-Georgia, with LSU losing to A&M, I think we can pretty much say Georgia's going to win that game. Then you've got Purdue-Michigan. Don't really think Michigan's a struggle there because Aiden O'Connell, though good, has an odd turnover in him. We're like, what the hell was that? And then TCU versus Kansas State. Kansas State... Kind of similar, can be good at times, but there's other times like, what the hell was that? It would have been fun to see Texas versus TCU, get an old Texas-style brawl in there, but uh, 
it's nice to see two teams that no one expected to make the Big 12 championship game in the Big 12 championship game. But for the Pac-12, I think everybody before the season started kind of expected something along the lines of USC versus Utah or Oregon or something like that. But then after Oregon got blitzed by Georgia week one, I think everybody kind of calmed down on the Oregon thing. But then Oregon got really good. And then they sucked. Or not sucked. The suck's a bad word. But they blew a lead against Oregon State this weekend. Like, I went to go see Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, and I missed the second half of this game, Georgia, Oregon versus Oregon State. Oregon is up 24 to 10 at one point in this game, if, I, if my memory serves me right from following this game. Oh, sorry. Did I say 24-10? I meant 31 to 10. 31 to 10. And then they allow Oregon State to come back and win the game 38-34. In Carvallis, you cannot have that. You could not have that happen. And they just opened the door for Utah to go to the Pac-12 championship game. And Bo Nix had two touchdowns in this game. He's still, he's not healthy. You can tell. His ankle's still bothering him. But, yeah, I didn't think they'd lose to Oregon State. Uh, that one kind of surprised me. I'm not saying Oregon State's a bad team. Oregon State's very good. So I shouldn't be sitting here like, oh, my God, it blew my freaking mind to see Oregon lose to Oregon State. No. I thought Oregon would win. But uh, Oregon State's a solid football team. Uh, we had South Carolina beating Clemson. Clemson's just not good. I don't like Clemson. I'm glad they lost. I don't like Spencer Rattler either, but I'm glad they lost. Alabama beat Auburn 49-27. Yeah, kind of expected. Auburn's kind of a shit show right now. Bryce Young played really, really well. Bryce Young, three touchdowns, 343 passing, 48 yards rushing, and a touchdown there as well. Yeah, I think Bryce Young really should – I don't I, – again, it's I don't want to sound like I'm bashing C.J. Stroud just because they lost to Michigan, but – there's not a lot of things that I could say that C.J. Stroud really does better than Bryce Young except for be taller. I don't know what else he does better. I know a lot of people love C.J. Stroud. And I've seen this comparison a little bit or a couple times on Twitter so far this season. Jared Goff to Spencer Rattler or to uh, C.J. Stroud. I don't think that's far off. I mean, Jared Goff is the number one overall draft pick, so it's not like it's a diss or anything. But I don't know what he does better at this point than, C- than Bryce Young. I understand the concerns about Bryce Young's size, but... I just, I just don't see it at this point. I could really see reality where Bryce Young actually finished second in the Heisman Trophy race. When you look at what Bryce Young's had to deal with this year, this Alabama team's not very good. Comparatively, and we're not I'm not talking about good, like, oh, they're not very good, like, compared to every other college team. No, for Alabama standards, this Alabama team's not very good. They don't have a lot of weapons around Bryce Young. Their O-line's not very good. Their defense is all right. They've got some solid secondary pieces, and obviously have Will Anderson, Henry Toa Toa. Like, they have solid pieces on defense, but... This is not the greatest Alabama team of all time, and Bryce Young has still played very, 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 very well. Jameer Gibbs is solid, but uh, that's about it for offense. And not, they had Hunter had rushed for 134 yards in this game, so or not Hunter, sorry, McClellan. Or not uh, McClellan didn't. I thought McClellan was playing better than that. I left early in the game again as well, and we stopped kind of we kind of stopped watching it. But uh, Jace McClellan, 44 yards, a touchdown in the game. Yeah, I thought McClellan was playing better than that from just watching. But I guess I was wrong. I guess I was wrong with that one. He had a good game last week against Austin P. and 156 yards rushing. Maybe that's what I'm flashing back to. But Jameer Gibbs, 76 yards rushing and a touchdown in the game as well. Yeah, if I'm ranking, like, the Heisman voting or Heisman, like, if I had to go through and list what the Heisman finalists will be, I would imagine, like, Hooker's going to be a hard one because he's obviously hurt, but I think you have to bring him just, just for sake. I don't. I don't know if he'll get any votes, but just bring him along. But Williams, Bryce, C.J. Stroud, 
Max Duggan, Hennon Hooker, and then bring Blake Corum. I know he didn't do anything against Ohio State this weekend, but Blake Corum's been awesome this year. 1,400 yards, 18 touchdowns this season. So I think I think we have to be Blake Corum just for another position. Maybe they bring Marvin Harrison Jr. Maybe they bring him as well. But, uh, yeah, I would go Williams winning it. I think Caleb Williams has won the Heisman Trophy. I think he stole it. I was talking to my dad about that last night when we watched the game, and I was like, man, I think he just stole the Heisman. They were crowning him after his last touchdown of the game. I think he won the Heisman. And I think Stroud will probably finish second. Just I I think I still think Bryce Young's better than him, but Bryce Young will probably finish third. And then we're looking at probably Duggan and then Corum and then Hooker. If that that's how I'd probably rank it. And again, Hooker's only there out of sympathy in my heart because I don't he's he's not gonna win it. I don't know how many votes he'll get, but dude was a top Heisman candidate before he tore his ACL. But the game he tore his ACL and they lost 63-38 to 38 or something like that. So I don't think he'll get a lot of votes for that. But that's how I probably rank the Heisman Trophy at this point. I could be wrong. We'll go through it. That's, this is off the top of my head right now. So what? Williams, Stroud, Young, Duggan, Corum, H- Hooker. That's how I'd probably do it. I mean, Duggan has to get in there. Duggan absolutely has to. Max Duggan has freaking 3,000 yards, 29 touchdowns, and th- only three picks this season. Not to freaking mention he's running the ball predict- really well this year. He has 294 yards rushing and five touchdowns. He's had some games where he's had some very nice games rushing the ball. You look at the game against Oklahoma, it's 166, 116 yards. Now his rushing numbers kind of slowed down after the Kansas State game, but uh, or after the Oklahoma State game, but 11-0, 12-0 actually. Big 12 championship, you got to bring him on. You got to bring him along. Other games this weekend, so Tennessee, Joe Milton, uh, 56-0 over Vanderbilt. Penn State beat Michigan State 35-16. Kansas State killed Kansas 47-27. Washington came back against Washington State 151-33. Utah beat Colorado 63-21. UCF beat South Florida 46-39. And Kentucky beat Louisville 26-13. Will Levis had two touchdowns in the game as well. Man, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Kind of a recap edition of the Logan Blackman show because we we we're not gonna talk about what happened like the week before because I don't really care. That was college football stuff a week before. No one cares. We already had games like World Cup. We had to recap that because that's the big thing going on right now. Now we have had some college basketball. Iowa State beat North Carolina in basketball on Friday. So congratulations to that. That was pretty cool. I watched part of that game because uh, it was I was with a couple of Iowa State. Brady and his girlfriend were watching the Iowa State game. They're big Iowa State fans, and I really didn't care about the Iowa-Nebraska game, especially after what was happening at the start. So I was like, yeah, we can flip back and forth between Iowa State and Nebraska and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm quietly happy that Iowa did not make the Big Ten Championship game. Quietly happy. I know they played well against Michigan the first time, but, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not too concerned about them missing. Oh, the Raiders beat the Seahawks 40-34. Nice. So the Raiders have four wins right now. Look at the Raiders cooking. Josh Jacobs, 229 yards rushing. Good Lord. Bills should go up to look after Josh Jacobs this offseason. 86-yard walk-off touchdown. Nice. That's how you do it right there. That is how you freaking do it. And I hate the Raiders, too, but that, that's a cool win. I don't hate the Raiders. They, I have a friend, one of my childhood friends is a Raiders fan. I have a few friends from high school that are Raiders fans, but it doesn't don't hurt my feelings to see the Raiders do bad. I think I saw Derek Carr throw an interception in his first patch today or something. But, yeah, that's all I think we've got for you. I need to go through my camera roll. Do I have anything here? Oh, uh, the belief in Florida program is that Anthony Richardson will declare for the NFL draft this year. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. He's a baller. He's a baller. He needs to be in the right system, but I think he's definitely a first-round draft pick. And then Mike White, uh, three passing touchdowns a day. Zach Wilson never thrown three passing touchdowns a game his entire career. 
Let's quickly, I guess, go through our top, our Week 12 quarterback prospect rankings since we didn't do it last week, so there's no show, but there was a post. So, again, make sure you go to loganblattmanshow.com. Go to the blog section on the website or scroll down on the homepage. You'll find it. Uh, number one, Bryce Young. Two, C.J. Stroud. Three, Anthony Richardson, though they lost to Vanderbilt. He threw for 400 yards, had three touchdowns in the game as well. Uh, Will Levis at four played pretty well against Georgia. Not going to lie. We- weirdly played well against Georgia. Sucked ass against Tennessee and Vanderbilt, who have way worse defenses than Georgia, and played well. Played well. Had opportunities to win this game, to be honest with you. Ended up losing, threw an interception to Keely Ringo in the game, which is never a smart idea. Hennon Hooker at five, though he threw he tore his ACL. He's still going to be on the rankings, still at number five. Six, Jaron Hall, though he played Utah Tech, threw five touchdowns, ran for another one. Six total touchdowns against Utah Tech. Bo Nix at seven. Didn't have, like, the greatest game against Utah. It was a very boring game. Like, the final points were scored, I think, at, like, the 14-minute mark of this game or something. <coughs> it was not very entertaining. But though I like the uniforms. Oregon uniforms were pretty nice in this one. They went white, green, white, for those of you who are wondering. Uh, number eight, Tanner McKee. Threw the ball a shit ton. Threw 45 times this game against Cal. Uh, David Shaw announced that he's stepping down after this season, which is sad to see. But Stanford's been kind of bad recently, and their offense has kind of been outdated. So... I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I am sad to see him go because he's a good coach, but yeah, not not great recently. And number nine, Jane Daniels against Utah UAB, uh, over 400 yards total offense, baller. And then Michael Penix dropped one spot, but still had a really good game against Colorado. Easy game against Colorado. He had 229 yards passing and a touchdown in the game. Also had six yards rushing. Didn't just didn't really need to do a whole lot. Then we have other men- honorable mentions: Mac Duggan, KJ Jefferson, Spencer Rattler after six touchdowns against Tennessee. DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson, UCLA, and Cameron Ward for Washington State. 193 yards and a touchdown. Also had 59 yards on the ground in a touchdown against Arizona. So, again, make sure you check that out on the LoganBlackmanShow.com. And with that, that's all I've got for you today. I do, and hope you, I do hope you enjoyed the show today. It's been a little bit since we've recorded one. It's been two weeks, pretty uh, about a week. We recorded one on Friday before Thanksgiving break. So, you know what? It's not been two. About a week and a half. About a week and a half. But I do hope you enjoyed Again, make sure you follow the Logan Blattman Show on every single form of social media. But most importantly, make sure you're subscribed and or following the Logan Blattman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure to leave a five-star rating on both. Be a good bad rate, good rating or a bad rating. Don't care. Just as long as to make your point, opinion heard, just leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. And I will see you all later. USA versus Iran is on Tuesday, by the way. Peace. <laughs>